So I'm currently praying about what book the Lord would have us go in next here at Calvary on Sunday morning. So I wanted to address a few issues. And today, if you're with us for the first time, or if you've been with us now for the last 25 years, today is a first here at Calvary. Today we will be looking at a portion of the book of Job together. Many people avoid the book of Job like the plague because they're afraid they're going to get the plague if they read the book of Job. The book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible, by far. And in it, we have an incredible depiction of two perspectives. We have the perspective of God, and we have the perspective of man. And as we read through the book of Job, and we're going to go through the whole book this morning, all 42 chapters, we should be out by 8.30 this evening, you will discover that it is true when God says that our ways are not His ways, and that His ways are higher than our ways. Often we get stuck in our perspective here on this earth, and we draw conclusions about God based upon those perspectives. And yet we discover, I think, in time that we are so wrong in doing so. And I wanted to address this because as we've all gone through these last two years together, very unique years, troubling years in many ways. The repercussions of these years are still playing out in the world around us. And let's pray for those Canadian truckers that were arrested. But God always has something more in mind. God's always working even when we don't see it. Even when our perspective would indicate that maybe God is angry with us, displeased with us, or has cast us off in some way, it is often in those moments that God is working the most in our life. And that is certainly in the case of Job. The book of Job can be summarized in two words, sovereignty and suffering. And in it, we find Job suffering unlike any other. And yet, in it and through it all, he concludes the book by saying, God, I'm wrong. Now, his error wasn't in righteousness, for we know that Job was a righteous man. His error was concluding from his perspective that it wasn't even worth him ever being born. And in and through the trials in which Job experienced, he gained revelation that was so precious to him that in actuality he got a taste of eternal life here and now on this earth. And so I direct your attention to Job chapter 42. We're going to go all the way to the end. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. 
And being the pastor of the church, I can pick my favorite passages to teach. It's one of the few perks that I get. I used to have a parking spot, but now that is no longer sanctified unto me. Somebody once asked, Pastor, why don't you put a sign saying this is the pastor's parking spot? And I said, well, you don't know our church. As soon as I would put that sign up, everyone in our congregation would look to park there. Job chapter 42, starting in verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and in ashes." Job was, of course, a righteous man. The Bible tells that very, uh, us very clearly. And as Satan went about to and fro on the earth, God asked him to consider his servant Job. One of the first times we see that word used in correlation with uh, God calling an individual in his creation, his servant. And Satan said to God, well, the reason that Job follows you The reason that Job loves you is because you have this hedge of protection around Job. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't love you under those circumstances? And Satan, remove the hedge and I will show you that Job will turn on you. I'm paraphrasing, I'm summarizing. You can find this in the Eric Standard Version of the Bible. And as a result, God allowed Satan to bring Job through a series of trials, but not to, harm, not to kill him. And as you move into chapter 2, you find and discover that Job now begins a series of trials, tribulations, and troubles like no human being has ever seen. When you come to chapter 3, you discover that Job now looks at himself and despises his own birth. Oh, it would have been better if I would have never lived at all. And then Job, on his own, goes and separates himself from everyone in the garbage dumps. Sores on his bodies that the dogs are licking just in horrific suffering and pain. He's lost his children. His wife has said, Job, just simply curse God and die. And yet Job knew in his heart that he hadn't done anything to warrant such suffering in the form of correction from God or judgment from God. And so he became confused. And in his confusion... 
his friends came to him and began to counsel Job. And if you want a series of counsel on what not to say when someone is suffering, let me encourage you to read their counsel. They were advising Job simply on the basis of their perspective, on their limited knowledge of God. Job was trying to understand and trying to draw wisdom from that counsel, but Job too had a very limited understanding of God, a very minimalistic theology concerning God. And when it was all said and done, Job began to wonder, is God fair? Is God just? I've done nothing wrong to warrant such a period of suffering, of loss. Why would such a thing happen to me? Whenever we go through suffering, the first question that comes to our mind is, God, why? Why am I going through this? Now, suffering can occur for really three different reasons in a person's life. Number one, it can occur because it is the consequences of sin that we have committed and we've brought on those consequences upon ourselves. Consequences that God would have spared us from if we simply would have been obedient to Him. There's suffering in this world, we know that. The world, of course, tainted by sin and death. We see suffering around us. And we understand that it is all a consequence of the fall of man. And then there is the trials that God allows in our life that isn't necessarily chastisement, trying to correct something that we have done wrong. But he allows them for a greater purpose. Now this may seem contrary to us in our mind. But God realizes that often in these places of difficulty is the exact place that he needs to bring us to experience him in a deeper and more glorious way. One of my heroes in the faith is Corrie Ten Boom. What she suffered during the Holocaust was incredible. But she had this incredible gift of seeing her suffering as God opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel and the discipleship of those who are around her. Whose lives may be taken from their, themselves, them the very next day due to, of course, the, extinct, the process of extermination that took place in the Holocaust and in the concentration camps. If you haven't read Corey Ten Boom's books, may I encourage you to do so. They're fascinating. It isn't until later in the book of Job that another friend comes, Eliehu, and begins to challenge Job and say, no, Regardless of your circumstances, Job, God is good. And begins to share with Job and encourage Job, which then leads to God himself revealing himself, speaking to Job directly. 
After speaking with God, Job concludes what we have just read here in these six verses. When we go through suffering and we are quick to ask the question, why? If we feel it necessary to repent due to the fact that we've brought this suffering upon ourselves due to to the sin that we have uh, committed, and these are consequences, then repent, and God will see you through and walk through those consequences with you. If you see that it is just something that the world has brought upon us, we know that trial, trouble, and tribulation will exist, but God will walk through this world with us step by step. If all of a sudden we find ourselves in a position that we never anticipated, and we haven't brought it on ourselves, maybe God is trying to do something in our lives. Maybe God is trying to give us an experience of heaven here and now. And I've said that twice. And I say that for a purpose. Many people don't understand the real nature of eternal life. Many people don't truly comprehend what eternal life is all about. They think of heaven. They think of the streets of gold. They think of the beauty and the majesty of heaven itself. Which, of course, are all of that is desirable. But the Bible tells us very clearly what eternal life is and why we should look forward to it with such longing and desire and wanting. It's vastly superior to the simple streets of gold. It is vastly superior to simply uh, the idea of being in quote-unquote paradise. For John tells us exactly what eternal life is, that we may know God. See, God wants you to know Him. He doesn't just want you to know about Him, He wants you to know Him, have relationship with Him. And though Job went through this incredible period of suffering, it was the means in which God gave Job the greatest experiences of his life. With him. Now, this may seem again difficult to, to, you know, contemplate and to calculate. Oh, wouldn't it be just so much better if God just continuously blessed us day in and day out? Wouldn't we uh, experience God in such a way through those blessings that we would know Him and desire Him more? You know, when you read the Bible, it's not through times of blessings, but through times of suffering that God's people got to know Him deeper and more intimately. So as we come to Job, with his minimalistic knowledge of God, as we see the counsel that his friends had given him from their perspective, when we see and understand that it was God's desire to draw Job closer to he himself through these sufferings, Job had decided, even before his personal experience with God, 
His heart was already inclined. Though God slay me, I will trust him. I wish I could tell you that everything you experience in life would be everything you want to experience in life. That it wouldn't have any, you wouldn't have any problems. You wouldn't have any difficulties. That you wouldn't suffer in any way, shape, or form. But if I were to do so, I would be lying and then strongly encourage you to find another church. Because suffering is a part of the Christian life. But once we have a proper understanding, or as some would say, a theology of suffering, then we can understand that it's something more than just going through a difficult time here in this world. So many Christians are just living for the now and not for eternity. So many Christians are looking to avoid every single bad thing that can possibly happen to them. And there's a wisdom in that to a certain degree. But when bad things do come, do we then begin to draw from those experiences and begin to conclude about God things that aren't true? When we go through difficult times, do we automatically consider that God is no longer good? When we go through difficult times or don't get what we want, do we then conclude that God isn't fair? Or when we see things from our perspective, do we conclude that God isn't just? Because it would be easy to do all three. But Job had it wrong. His friends had it wrong. Their knowledge, their perspective was so limited, it didn't allow for them to see what God was truly doing. Job is given to us for this purpose, that we may know what God is doing. That when we do go through times of trial, trouble, and tribulation, that we can be encouraged. That our suffering has meaning. And that meaning isn't necessarily defined by the answer to the question, why? Why am I going through this, God? Often we may not know that reason. God may not reveal that to us. But we can be assured that God is with us. And we can be assured that He will see us through that time. My voice is not behaving today, so if I take a sip of tea, just talk amongst yourself. Thank you. Let's look at our text together. Because in the second verse, Job tells us very clearly that to understand his suffering, to find comfort in God during that period of suffering, he must first acknowledge a fundamental truth about God himself. And that truth is found in verse 2. I know you can do everything. As another translation would put it, I know that you can do anything, God, and no one can stop you. The sovereignty of God should be a comfort to all of us in good times and in bad. And as a result, 
we can lean on the understanding of the sovereignty of God to help us endure what we are currently experiencing. Now, you may think that only, that only occurs when we go through bad things, but notice with me throughout the Bible that when people were blessed, it was often those blessings that drew them away from God. Prosperity can be a huge danger to a Christian if the prosperity isn't kept in a proper context. And that context is the sovereignty of God. <coughs> Excuse me. We are talking about the omnipotence of God. It is defined as such. The Bible portrays God as Lord of both creation and the history of creation. <clears throat> this is so because all that exists owes its reality, integrity, and continuity to the mighty Word of God which founds and upholds all things. Consequently, there is no created power which can compete with God. This power stands over all. The Latin term, pomia, or power, is what we find in the prefix, meaning all or all power in omni or omnipotence. The sovereignty of God means that God explains himself to no one, even to us. <coughs> now that would be scary if it weren't for the fact that we know that the character of God is good. It would be difficult for us if we weren't sure of his character, of his love, of his grace, of his mercy, his holiness, his complete justice would terrify us. And yet, when you look at the character of God, there isn't one attribute that is greater than them all. He is equal in every part. And therefore, not only should we be concerned or uh, fearful of the holiness of God in a good way, but we should also be comforted by the love in which he has for us that balances that justice. It doesn't eliminate that justice. It balances it. <coughs> Proving to us that he would send his only begotten son into this world because he loves us for the purpose of escaping the wrath that God would have to pour on us for our disobedience to him. So the very first thing that Job realizes in verse 2 is the fact that God is sovereign and nothing on this earth, no one in this creation, will be ever able to withstand or to withhold him from doing and completing what he hopes to do. Verse 3. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? He asked Job earlier, Job, why are you questioning me? Why are you questioning my wisdom in the limited knowledge in which you have? 
So Job is repeating the question to God. This is what you've asked me, God. This is what you have called me out on. One of the things I have concluded with certainty is that God is much wiser than I am. Without even a debate. Vastly superior in every way. It's not even a contest. Therefore, when I do experience things in this world that I don't understand or I don't seem to have a context to place them within, I can be assured of the fact that God does. I'm comforted by the verse that says all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That each and everything that I experience here on this earth leads me and conforms me into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, the way God does that is often far beyond my comprehension. So for me to question the wisdom of God is silly. For God is so much wiser than I am. He's so vastly superior to who I am. His intellect, his knowledge, of course, it vastly uh, surpasses anything that I may have. But this is where the character of God comes in. Because of who God is, we can be assured that he's working it out for our purposes. And notice what Job says in verse 3 again. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I was so wrong, God, in my perspective, in my conclusions. I didn't understand, God. I was foolish for saying what I said. Have you ever rushed into a circumstance thinking you had all the information, and then once you got into it, you realize that you didn't have hardly any of the information? That would perfectly illustrate for us what happened to Job. As one wrote, he said, Job withdrew his accusations that God was unjust and not treating him fairly. He realized that whatever God does is right, and man must accept it by faith. There is a theological position called Theosity. Theosity is the understanding, and I'll read the definition for you. Life's harsh enigmas render belief in a benevolent deity very difficult. Theosity is the attempt to defend divine justice and face an apparent phenomena that appears to indicate that the deity's indifference or hostility towards virtuous people, are unjust. Meaning, why do good people suffer? Or, why do bad things happen to good people? This is exactly what would have been determined if we saw the situation with Job. Now, his friends automatically concluded that Job had certainly done something to warrant what he was experiencing. Right away, trying to say, Job, 
it must be something that you have done. Because if you were right with God, God would never let you suffer in such a way. Too many Christians have that mindset. Too many. That the moment difficulties come, we begin to question the fairness, the goodness, the love of God. When Christians enter into difficulty and then they turn away from God and then say, I tried God, but He didn't work for me. It's an absolute shallow understanding of who God truly is. And it is a complete misunderstanding of our relationship with Him. As Dr. Tom Constable wrote in his book, that Job, he has not learned the cause of his suffering or given an explanation to the apparent injustices in the world. But what Job has, what has happened in, and occurred in Job's life was that he found God again. He later went on to write to Job's the supremely important thing is that God has come to him in his suffering, showing him that he is not isolated from God by his suffering. He has cried for God again and again, and God has come to him. Not to enter into debate with him on the issues that he has thrashed out with his friends, but to show him that now when he most needs God, God is with him. When we go through suffering, Satan would often like us to conclude that we are in it alone. And God has given us four things to comfort us during suffering. Number one, he has given us the Holy Spirit as our comforter. Number two, he has given us his word to comfort us in suffering through the promises in which he has made to us. And number three... He has given us the church, each other. He has given us each other to encourage and to comfort each other when we suffer here in this world for Christ. And lastly, He has given us Himself. And in those moments of suffering is often when we experience God to the greatest degree. In verse 4, he then goes on and he states, Listen, please let me speak, Job says. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. When you come to Job chapter 38, when God finally does reveal himself to Job, he asks Job a series of questions. And in those questions, Job is then meant to reason and to conclude that God is sovereign over all things. Let me read some of those questions to you, if I may. For God asked him in Job 38.4, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Or Job 38.12, it should be on the screen behind me. Have you commanded the morning since the day began and caused the dawn to know its place, Job? Oh, Job, can you bind the clusters of Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion? 
In verse 34, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? And then God said, now prepare yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. In Job 47 through 9, would you indeed, I'm sorry, indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like His? Job, really? You're going to consider God unfair? Is it not true that His ways may be higher than our ways? And what God can do, we can't? This is what Job needed. Job was content that after God met him, didn't debate with Job, didn't spell out the exact reasons why he went through the suffering, but simply revealed himself to be God, and that in your suffering, Job, I am with you. In verse 5, I love this. I have heard of you by hearing of the year. At that point, the knowledge of God was communicated person to person. Job, of course, was written far be, uh, before Genesis was by Moses. And everything that Job was learning, he was learning secondhand at this, up until this point. He was learning on the basis of other people's personal experiences. But now he then says, but now my eyes see you. Meaning, it's personal to me now. It's not that he actually saw God, but he experienced God. He heard from God personally. And he was comforted by it. And it brought him into a completely new dynamic with God. It was more real to him. When we learn about God, we do so through the primary resource that he has given us, his word. And we learn about the events that have occurred in other people who followed God. And knowing that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we are then assured of the fact that the manner in which they dealt with them is the manner in which he will deal with us in the universal promises that he has made to us. But that can never end there. It can lead us to faith, of course. It can lead us to trust, of course. But as we walk with God personally, we see God interact with us personally. And instead of just reading about the fact that God can provide all of our needs, we actually see that God has provided all of our needs. We discover that he answers prayer as we pray and he uniquely answers the prayers that we have prayed. Those things that we have prayed in a quiet place, a simple place, a place that no one else had heard us. And God answers us openly. Or when we see and experience sharing the faith with someone else, 
and seeing them coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. What an experience that is. And as a result, now the experiences confirm what God has already told us in His Word. When we grow up, when we're children, we're under our parents' roof and authority, and we live vicariously through their experiences. But as we grow up and as we become adults, those experiences then become personal. We take the responsibility of the various aspects of this life that our parents once carried for us. And in those experiences, with the wisdom that we gain with, from, I should say, our parents as we grew up under you know, their roof, we then mature as people as those two come together. I believe that as we mature as Christians, we must take the wisdom of the Word, apply it into our lives, and let God meet us where we are at. Therefore, we will grow into maturity in our relationship with Him. And that's exactly what he meant when he said this in verse 5. But ultimately, if you look with me in verse 6, it finally comes to the confession that Job needed to make. And it may be a confession that you also need to make this morning. In verse 6, therefore I abhor myself. I was wrong. I'm unhappy with the way things have gone. I see that it was me. And I repent in dust and in ash. It wasn't that he was repenting for something that he had done to warrant the trial that God brought upon him because he didn't do anything. It wasn't a consequence of sin. But what he did realize is that God allowing this to happen in his life brought him to a place of deeper understanding of God. And in his complaint, he now realizes that this was for his betterment. And at the end of it all, he is better than when he first started because he had a deeper experience with God. And that experience was through suffering. As one wrote, he said, He doesn't repent of sins that have allegedly brought on the suffering. He repents of his arrogance in impugning God's justice and character. He repents of his attitude whereby he simply demands an answer as if such were one was owed to him. He repents for not having known God better. He then went on to write, Job admitted sinning because he suffered But he did not admit that he was suffering because of sin. And as a result, Job found himself in a dynamic position and place with God. I'd like to conclude by reading these two comments for you, if I may. Job forgot his cry for vindication since he had received something much better a revelation of the person of God and renewed fellowship with God. He had lost all, but he had found God and was, content, was now content. 
He had stopped asking why God since he had come to know God. We do not need to know why if we know God. This is one of the greatest lessons of the book. Another commentator wrote about the temptation that may come to us in our times of suffering. Temptation to become distressed overtakes us all when bad things happen to us. We want to know why these things have happened as they do. If we know that God is in control and that He is love and His loving wisdom, He has permitted our suffering, we do not need to know why we are in pain. That is not to say that we should stop trying to discover reasons. Our suffering may be due to our own sin, as Job's three friends had said, or because God wants to teach us something, as Elihu affirmed. However, suffering may not be our lot for these reasons. We cannot determine why we suffer. We can still rest in God and continue to trust and obey Him because we know He is sovereign and loving. As I stated before, this was Job's moment to experience heaven here on this earth. In John 17.3, Jesus Himself told us, and this is eternal life that you may that you excuse me that may oh, all right rewind that they may know you the one true god and jesus christ whom you have sent god just doesn't want us to know about him he wants us to know him And in conclusion, I leave you with what Job determined even before he had this experience with God. But in his suffering, he had this takeaway already established in his mind. And it allowed him to endure. And God surely confirmed that this was true. In Job 23.10 But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. The sovereignty of God and man's suffering. It is a dimension of our faith that will continuously be explored. But in knowing the sovereignty of God, we can have a comfort during our suffering here on this earth because we know that God is working within us. And that the work that He started in us, He will be faithful to complete. We know that all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. We know that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And we know that in the end we win. And we'll step out of this life into eternity where we may know God fully forever and ever and ever. Amen.